0: I had to come over here and claim my little corner of the table. I hope you all saw that. That was, I came across the stories as I was preparing for this week. Please take a listen. I remember an animated discussion with my high school freshman English teacher over the word awful. I insisted on using awful, in other words, A-W-E hyphen F-U-L-L. She was a clever one, this one, wasn't she? I insisted on using the word awful to describe something so exalted as to arouse reverence. She preferred that I, the teacher, preferred that I stick with the words common spelling and usage, denoting something dreadful. We should have looked in the dictionary. My old Webster's list lists as its first definition, inspiring awe, highly impressive. Not until... The fourth entry does it supply the definition usually assumed in idiomatic English, meaning very bad, ugly, or unpleasant. But the teacher had the final word in class that day. Even at age 14, I felt that a vital perception was being lost. The sense that something, someone, was higher than we. I longed to verbalize awfulness, and my teacher made class Just awful. Today, people apply the related word awesome to clothes, food, music, and cinematic effects. The word is so overused that when people sing Rich Mullen's Awesome God, they seem to trivialize the awful one and put the Trinity in the same level as toothpaste and clothing. Our culture has worked hard to establish equality among persons, and we've somehow put God into that parity And gradually reduced our sense that this is a breathtakingly transcendent God you're talking about. Allow me to share a personal story with you. Many of you know, I've I've been here for a while. Many of you know a little bit about my background. Um, My wife and I became Christians in 1980 at a small group after... Well, at least me, anyway, living a rather profligate life up until that point. Um, God did some miraculous things, and continues to. I'll I'll say that right out front as well. But after about seven years of being a a follower of Jesus, I had a crisis of faith. My father became very, very sick. Um, He had uh, he had emphysema, and uh, I mean, and that went with living the life that he lived. He was. Uh, he grew up during the Depression. Fought in World War II. Was on board uh, a destroyer in the Pacific during the war. Uh, worked in, in as a as a mechanic on the engines. Was around asbestos, and I mean, just as you can imagine, all kinds of crazy things. Then he went from there after he left the Navy, and he worked in a steel mill for 37 years, which he took me in there several times, and it's one of the most awful, and I mean that in the worst sense of the term. One of the most awful places I've ever been to. The smell, the noise. And he was around, he was around, he did, his, they were fabric, he was in a large fabricating mill. They did, uh, built superstructure for bridges and buildings and things along that line. And uh, he was in a galvanizing shop. He was, eventually became the department head. And what he did was he, you know, if they galvanize steel, they dip it in zinc. So he was smelling all this smoke. He smoked two packs of Lucky Strikes a day. I mean, he had everything going against him. He had emphysema. And for some strange reason, I found myself, I I, I love my father. He was my hero and uh, still is. And uh, when he got sick, I mean, there was something way down deep inside because he'd suffered this for a while and I'd seen episodes and experienced episodes and I knew this this wasn't going to end well. And uh, eventually... Uh, he got so sick that he never left the hospital. And, I mean, I prayed to God, and I bought into some bad theology that God was going to heal him for all kinds of different reasons. And when he didn't and my father passed away, I basically took powder from the faith. Took, just basically said, God, if you're going to treat me like this, then I'm gone. So I played the prodigal for seven years afterwards. had two children born, um, and I started going to college. I mean, just all kinds of things. Part of it was good, part of it wasn't, but I found myself falling further and further back into a lifestyle that I left, that Christ delivered me from, many years before. Well, some, Once again, God doing what God does, various things happened, and I found myself in a place where I, couldn't, I could no longer deny the sovereignty that God had over my life. I mean, lots of bad things happened that I brought on myself. I'll freely admit that to anyone. But I found myself at a place where, you know what? It, it, it's almost like the prodigal, the story of the prodigal. You know, the, the kid gets way out away from home. He gets way out away from base. He gets himself way out of whack. And all of a sudden, when the scripture tells us this way, he said, One day he came to himself. Well, there was a day that where I came to myself. And I fully expected, you know, it's funny because I knew the Bible and I figured, well, it'll be like the prodigal story. I'll turn around, and make my way. And somewhere at the end of this road, God will meet me and all will be good. I mean, I may have to go through a series of things, penance and everything else along the way. I didn't know. And that's what I fully expected to happen. But here's what actually happened to me. What happened to me was the moment I turned around in my journey to walk back towards Christ, he wasn't a far distance away from me. He wasn't some thing out there that I had to walk towards and say, eventually I'll get to that light. He was standing right there beside me. Here's what I discovered that even in the midst of my brokenness, even in the midst of the awfulness that I had suffered and struggled through, and frankly brought on myself in many ways, he walked through with me through it, even though I didn't acknowledge him, even though I didn't know he was there, even though even though i never I never even gave it a second thought until the time came when I had to turn towards him. And it's almost as if he said to me, "I was here the whole time. Now let's get to work." The reason I tell you that story is because, especially given what we what we just what we just sang about, what Chris just led us in, is a story of how God's grace is transcendent, how God's grace overcomes everything. I mean, and you know what, what's 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 funny about that is is that I thought when I was going through all the stuff that I went through, I thought I knew all about grace. But here I found that I didn't. And you know what? Some 35 years later, I I still, as as much as I know and as much as I've experienced and as many times as I've messed things up in my own life, every time, every time, I turn to God thinking that, well, maybe this one time he's going to make me wait. He never does as much grace as I've experienced in my life, and I'm sure some of you can share the same story, as much grace as I've experienced in my life, I still, to this day, haven't even, I don't even think I've touched the edge of the abundant grace that God offers each and every one of us. And here's the thing. You know, I tended to, to put a limitation on God's grace because I simply didn't understand. Here's the thing everywhere, and I mean everywhere, and in every situation where I tried to put a limitation on God's grace and what He might be willing to do in my life, He simply blew it away. And He continues that even now, to this day. I am still blown away by His willingness far outdo my expectations of his grace, mercy, and love. Now last week, we spent the better part of the day talking about what God had in mind for a group of people who had just quite literally had their collective worlds blown apart. The remnant of Judah was in a place they never, in their worst nightmare, thought they would find themselves. Captive in the capital city of a sworn enemy on the one hand, they probably couldn't understand how this could have happened to them. I mean, their trusted prophets had had told them for years that something like this could never happen, that they were God's chosen, and that God's house dwelled in their city, and that he would never judge them in the way that had been threatened by cranks like Jeremiah and others who had warned them previously for generations. And on the other hand, and I'll, I'll admit this to you, this is I'm going to speculate. And I think this speculation is actually pretty accurate. You may disagree with me, but I think I'm right. I think they knew deep down, way down deep, in their hearts that they had been terribly unfaithful to a God who had, up until this point, shown great faithfulness and restraint in dealing with them according to his law respect to their behavior. They were haunted by the images of their loved ones and their countrymen and their brothers and sisters being slaughtered and abused and either left to die in the desolation or carried away captive to a land that they had never known, riddled with guilt over their part in it. And given everything that had happened, they had to figure that God would want nothing to do with them and that they were abandoned in a strange land without any hope of ever returning home. And then they get this letter from Jerusalem from a guy they had mocked and imprisoned and threatened with death. No doubt Their minds that he was going to gloat over the fact that he had warned them what would happen. That he hated to say, I told you so, but turns out that wasn't the case. Now, last week we considered the first nine verses of Jeremiah 29 and found that not only did God not abandon the remnant of Jerusalem, but that he had promised that they would, once again, partner with him in the fulfillment of his redemptive mission, albeit with a different twist. We use the word reset as a descriptor for what God was doing in and through them and would be doing in and through them going forward, which brings us to today. This morning, we'll continue our series in Jeremiah 29 and, 30 and, and, and chapter 31 as well, titled A Hope and a Future, a title The title of today's message is, once again, a one-word descriptor. You ready? Transcend. told you last week, I'm not real creative. I don't spend a lot of time thinking up, you know, titles to sermons. Today we'll consider verse, it's a short passage. We'll consider verses 10 through 14 with a message titled simply Transcend. And what we'll find is that God reveals himself to be greater in all ways than these people could have ever imagined. So let's take a look. If you have your Bible with you, open them up to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you're following along with the message outline supplied on our website, or if you're following along online, um, you'll find this passage uh, on our website uh, at uh, under, the, under the, well, it's in there someplace. Um, it, there's, there's a tab where you can check this sermon outline for that, I'm sure. Um, Jeremiah 29. We're going to take a look at verses 10 through 14. Follow along with me as I read to you from the English Standard Version of the Bible. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, mind you, remember that he is, is, uh, Jeremiah, as he is writing this letter, is in Jerusalem. So he's writing in his, He's writing in his context when he says, I will bring you back to this place. In other words, he will bring you back to Jerusalem for I know, familiar verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you into exile. You know, it's interesting, just as an aside, last week when we opened this passage, the letter was opened by the fact that God said, I'm the one that sent you into exile. It was me, And here it was, what he says at the end of this passage, I will bring you back from the place from which I sent you into exile. I don't know, I find that interesting. Last week, we made a point of saying that God was responsible for the exile of the remnant of Judah to Babylon. He made it very, very clear in a couple of different places and a couple of times the first nine verses, that he's the one. But he also made it clear that he was by no means done with them, that he was in fact in control. As we discussed, he let them know that his intention was to reset his purpose and through them in the midst of their affliction, that he would reset their character in the forge of adversity. But he required one thing in order for that to happen. He would need for them to trust that he had their best intention at heart, even in the midst of their brokenness. We related this to our own situation that even in the midst of a terrible pandemic and through a difficult and divisive election, God can fulfill his purpose in and through us if we would simply trust in his, willi- in his ability, I should say, and most importantly, I believe, his willingness to do so. What we just read states in no uncertain terms of God's intention for the nation of Israel going forward and how it will come about. Now, I want us to consider three things from this passage to point to God's God's intent for them and for us as we learn to lean into his grace in the midst of trying times. Let's take a closer look. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. God's ultimate purpose transcends our current circumstances. Let me say that again. God's ultimate purpose transcends our current circumstances. Before we proceed, let's take a moment and define the word transcend. I like to go to Webster's myself, so we'll see how Webster's defines it. He says this. Webster says, first off, The transcend is a verb. In other words, it's an action word. It's something to be done, right? It's a verb that means to rise above or go beyond the limits. It means to triumph over negative or restrictive aspects of. A word, a a synonym would be overcome. Another way to look at it is, is to look at it this way, to be prior to, beyond, or above. And he's speaking more or less in terms of of universe or material existence. In other words, you know, when we talk about transcendental and things along that line, that's kind of where we're going with that. With that in mind, let's restate our first point, okay? Let's do this. God's ultimate purpose rises above our current circumstance. Try this one on for size. God's ultimate purpose overcome our current circumstances. Consider verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my purpose or excuse me, my promise and will bring you back to this place. When God speaks of his promise to these people, he's talking about a promise he made a long, long time before that. He's talking about a promise that he made to Abraham when he promised that he would make of them a great nation, a promise these people thought was all but lost due to the conquest of Jerusalem. But God tells them that in spite of their current circumstances, he fully intends to fulfill his promise and purpose to use them in the redemption of his creation. And take note of how he says it. He says, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you. Just as he did in last week's passage, he lets them know in no uncertain terms that it is he who visits and fulfills his promise just as surely as he put them there in the first place. In his letter to the church at Rome, Paul is encouraging the church at Rome as they face some of the most difficult and, and tenuous circumstances and situations imaginable, think about Paul. And this is what I appreciate about him so much: he didn't sugarcoat anything, he didn't try to avoid it, he doesn't try to to brush around it at all. Instead, he speaks directly and truthfully, brings some welcome perspective. Take a listen to Romans chapter eight and verse eighteen. He says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time." Are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Over the last several months, many of us have had our world shaken to its very core, along with our faith. To you, I would say, lay hold of what God is saying in. That he will fulfill his purpose, and that no circumstance or no situation can keep that from happening. It may look different than it otherwise would have, or it may look different than you thought it would, but it will happen if you just hang in. You can count on it. Number two, write this down, please. God's grace transcends His judgment. Let me say that one again. God's grace transcends His judgment. I've been a follower of Jesus for over thirty or over forty years. Gosh, one thing I can tell you for certain, and I shared this with you a little bit earlier, is that I have never able been fully. I've never been fully able to understand or grasp. The depths of his grace, but I have had the opportunity to experience it in ways that I would have never imagined. If you think about what the people to whom Jeremiah was addressing in the letter were experiencing, things like despair, a sense of abandonment, no doubt, shame, hopelessness. Friends, truth is judgment is a horrible thing to have to experience. And it's something that our enemy, let's be honest, it's something that our enemy attempts to exploit when we experience it. But the one thing we can count on in the midst of it is the overwhelming desire of God to lavish us with his grace when we reach out for it. Listen to verse 11. He says, for I know the plans that I have for Declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future hope. Now you guys have heard me say this from up here is this is one of the most quoted and oft misquoted verses in the entire Bible. And I think it's important for us to understand and one of the reasons why I think it was really good for us to consider this entire passage beginning from verse 1 all the way to all the way to where we're at right now is it gives us the proper context of what this verse says. Understand something. And this is, this is, this is the beauty of Scripture. It was written for a group of people, a, a, a plural group of people. There were several that were in Jerusalem that were dealing with the situation that they had going on here. But you know, as is always with Scripture, you can move it and it's almost like it's speaking to you too. You know, in the midst of the of, of, of horrible stuff that's happening to you, you know, it's written for those of us who are hanging on by our fingernails, who are struggling mightily, who think that God has abandoned us, who think that maybe he walked Last week, we talked about how Job felt, and his biggest problem wasn't that God was judging him. His big problem was he thought that God had abandoned him, that God had left him there to waste away. Many of us may feel that same way at this point. I've been there. And what he is telling us right here, right now, is he says, no, man, my plans for you haven't changed. My purpose for you hasn't changed. And I know what they are. And if you allow me, if you'll reach out to me, if you'll just hang in, if you'll make a decision to do things my way instead of your own, those plans will come to pass. It may look a little different than you would have thought. They may not be completely in everything that you thought they would be. But I promise you, I do have plans, and I will fulfill them. God's desire is to make sure his people know that in no uncertain terms that his plan and purpose for them has not changed, and that his steadfast love and grace will overcome the shame and the guilt of judgment if they'll only turn towards him And trust Him. I can tell you from experience, and I know a bunch of people in this room can testify, to God's boundless grace and its ability to transform any situation. Its ability to transform us. When we run to it and embrace it. Once again, Paul reminds us of who it is that makes these promises and his ability and willingness to fulfill them. Romans 8, in the second half of verse 31, this is a familiar verse to most of us. It goes like this. If God is for us. Who can be against us? Number three, write this down. God's desire to be found transcends our desire to seek him. Let me say that again. God's desire to be found transcends our desire to seek him. Now at first that might sound a little harsh, like, geez, Kevin, where's that coming from? Well, take a listen. He said, you will seek me, this is verses 13 and 14. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. hear me, it is God's deepest desire to reveal himself to us, each and every one of us. In fact, I would go as far as to say that there has never been a person who has ever drawn a breath to whom God does not desire to reveal himself, and he will persist in trying until every person's last breath He wants us to know him, not for what it does for him, but for what it does for us. In Romans, Paul talks about how he makes himself known to the created order, or makes himself known in the created order, I should say. Theologians call this natural revelation in that he reveals himself to us in nature. You look up at the sky, you look at a tree, you look at a flower, you look at a little kid's face, you look in a mirror. understand something and I've said this countless times as well God's a gentleman he will only go so far he will not impose himself on you the lead up to this is in verse 12 is God saying that they will seek out God and pray to him and most importantly he will hear them You see, God is setting the table for a new relationship with his people. One where he hears and responds when they seek. What God is saying, I believe, is that he is calling his people to a new level of holiness. One where they are focused on keeping the law and in seeking God's grace and mercy. The really good news is, that God understands the human tendency to stray from Him, and He's actually kind of worked that into the equation. There was a, I can't, there was a, there was a meme on social media. I've seen it several times. It makes I chuckle every time I see it, and I'm not going to be able to quote it perfectly, but you'll get the gist of it. I think it it, it says something like, when God reveals His plan for you, when He reveals His purpose for you, He's already taken your stupidity into it. Can I get an amen? Check out Deuteronomy. He says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. God, once again, constantly reminded him, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of trial and circumstance and situation, even if it's stuff that you brought upon yourself. God's promise to you is, yeah, you're going through tough stuff, and yeah, you might have brought it on yourself, and yeah, I might have to discipline you, but you know what? I'm always going to be here. Every time you turn around, every time you reach out, every time you think I'm gone, and you turn around and think I'm not going to be there, guess who's there? God's desire to reveal himself transcends our desire to seek. But... If we desire God's will for us, seek him, we must. Okay, quick review. God's ultimate purpose transcends our circumstances. God's purpose never changes, and he's able and willing to overcome any situation or circumstance in order to accomplish his purpose up to and including the foolish things we may do to inhibit it. God's grace transcends his judgment. You see, his sovereign, transcended grace is able to work in the midst of righteous judgment to not only transform the circumstance, but to transform us as well. God's desire to reveal himself transcends our desire to seek him. The good news, the good news, is that he never quits trying. So what's the takeaway from all? What are we to gather from from this? Well, write this down. God's future for you can transcend your past if you'll allow it. God had a preferred future for the remnant of Judah, and he made it known to them, and he showed them how to achieve it in spite of the train wreck that was their past. Listen again to the second half of verse 14. He says, and I will restore your fortunes And will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. His promise, his promise is to restore us. His promise is to make us whole. Last week we talked about shalom. You know, about the peace of God and how what that means. It's God's deepest desire not only to restore that shalom to us, but to everyone to his created order. In fact, if you read the last couple of chapters of Revelation, that's what it's all about. It's all about God restoring his creation to the place that he meant for it to be since before he spoke it into existence in the first place. In this case, God was showing to his people that he is faithful, that he would bring to pass that which he promised if they would remain steadfast and trusted. He hasn't changed. Not a bit. He remains faithful, often beyond our ability to comprehend it. His desire is to bring to pass his preferred future for us, and he can do it in spite of whatever our past looks like. All he's asking of us, all he's asking is to trust in his ability, his willingness, Paul makes it clear that God doesn't give up on us despite some of the detours we end up taking along the way due to our, shall we say, spotty record of choosing. Familiar passage, once again, Romans chapter 8 states it perfectly. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution? famine or nakedness, danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered basically what he's saying here's he man you've already given yourself to me you've already died to yourself when you when you were baptized when you went into the water and you came out that new creature you, you, you know it's over. Goes on to say no. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Him who loved us. It doesn't matter what your past was. Like. It doesn't matter what you did last night or with whom you did it. If today you are willing to turn to him and give him control of your life. Or if you if 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 who you are and who you will become he can take it and bring his purpose to pass through. All you have to do is hand it over to him. And understand something, you hand it over to him, he will gladly take it. And it will be the best decision you've ever made. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, We are just amazed, overcome, and overwhelmed. Superlatives escape me by your grace, by what you're willing to do in and through us when we give ourselves to you, when we turn away from the place where we are going and move towards you. Your desire is to reveal yourself to us, to work in and through us, to show yourself through people we know and people we don't. Frankly, in some places that we didn't see it coming. But Lord, we have to get over the fact that our past is wrecking us. That there's nothing that we can do and frankly, that there's nothing that you can do. We have to get over that. We have to trust you. We have to believe what you tell us that there is nothing that can separate us from We have to be willing to stand on that. Embrace it. And when we do, you will do great things not only in, but through us. You will accomplish your purpose in and through our lives. And we will partner with you in the greatest epic of all, the restoration of all that you've created. God, my deepest prayer for everyone who hears this, whether it's online, whether it's in this room, is that we will take that chance, that we will take that step, that we will allow you to reveal yourself to us, that we will hear you, and that we will step towards you. We will trust in your goodness towards us, knowing that that's a hard decision for us, but it is no doubt the best one. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to become your children, to become named by you named through you, to do great things because of what you have done. Teach us to love better. Teach us to forgive more than importantly than anything else. Teach us to be more and more like you. Praise you.